Hello? 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 Yes, this is MCO. Hello? This is MCO. Hello? Hello? This is another MCO and transmission. Okay, well, welcome back, everybody, to the Lotus Underground. I'm your host, MC Owens. And I'm making this special broadcast today for everyone who joined the Lotus Underground Patreon and for everyone who listens to these Dharma Talks on SoundCloud. I, I really appreciate you tuning in and listening. Uh, I'm going to be doing a reading of the Ananya Sapaya Sutta, uh, translated as the Way to the Imperturbable. Uh, this is Sutta number 106 in the Majjhima Nikaya, the middle-length discourses of the Buddha, if you want to read along at home. Uh, I'm reading from the Wisdom publication, translated by Bhikkhu Nanamoli and Bhikkhu Bodhi. Um, the reason why I'm doing this sutra um, actually is because I did a class and a reading on this sutra back in December last year, 2019, um, and... It was one of those funny nights where I forgot to hit the record button on my little recorder that usually uh, records these <laughs> Dharma talks for the SoundCloud. Um, and so it was a, a, an immediate lesson for me in the imperturbable of trying to maintain uh, equanimity um, and mi kind of missing that opportunity to record. Uh, but I kind of saw it as an opportunity to eventually sit down uh, and do a reading of this, which is what I want to do today. Um, as usual, I got a few things to say before I read, and I think I'm going to read this sutta maybe in five movements or five parts, um, and do a little talking before and after each part. Um, to start off though, to deal with the title of this, the way to the imperturbable, um, this idea of the imperturbable is very interesting. It's a curious sutra uh, for the use of this language of, you know, being imperturbable, like undisturbable, just totally like nothing in the world can get to you. Nobody can get to you. Nothing, no thing can get to you. That idea of being totally like unshakable um, is an interesting idea. And in this sutra, it, it's more or less equivalent to upeksha, uh, equanimity, the, the fourth uh, dhyana or dhyana, depending on whether you're using Pali or Sanskrit, but that fourth level of deep meditative absorption um, that ultimately kind of is arriving at this state of equanimity or upeksha. And, you know, if you read the commentaries or you look at the text, it does seem that the, the state of the imperturbable is kind of equivalent to upeksha. But of course, with Buddhism, you know, their choice of words and these particular words have interesting meaning and significance. Um, and, and also like a lot of, you know, like all suttas and sutras, the, the sutra does a good job of kind of describing the imperturbable. So I'm going to hold off on that. But I did want to mention that the reason why I chose to use this sutra and the reason why I chose to, to read it that night back in December is because I was concluding a series of classes I was teaching on the four formless jhanas, the four formless realms. Um, and these are sort of understood to be somehow kind of beyond or even more transcendent than just the 
uh, upeksha or imperturbable, that they are uh, deeper. And the kind of first formless realm is this realm of akasha or space. Uh, and of course, I did a Dharma talk on space, and we read a sutra dealing with the, this this uh, ayatana or foundation of space. That space gives way to consciousness or infinite consciousness. That infinite consciousness or vinyana kind of gives way or yields to this nothingness, akimkanye, total, absolute nothingness. And then the class that I was teaching that night. Uh, to using this sutra, it w- the fourth and formless the fourth formless realm or ayatana is the neither perception nor non-perception, uh, naiva samya nasamya ayatana, or uh, in in Pali something like nevasanya nasanya ayatana, very similar. But this idea of neither samya pers- with perception nor without perception, nisamya. So neither nor. Uh, and this is a, it's a tricky idea, of course, um, arguably not an idea, uh, but it's a tricky concept to wrap one's nothingness consciousness around. Um, and so I chose this sutra because of its special uh, dealing with this naiva samya nasamya ayatana, this base, the ayatana of neither perception nor non-perception. Uh, tricky idea. And so, again, I think it's a great sutra to elucidate what that might mean. Um, and so when we get there, which is, of course, kind of towards the end of the sutta, I'll have more to say about it. But that's the main reason why I chose to read this. Now, before we dive into this, though, I also have a few more things to say to just help or ease your listening to this or your reading along. Um, the first is I would like to uh, remind everybody of a sutta or sutra sutta um, that I, I did recently as part of the Vimalakirti series, if you were listening to those. If not, it's okay. But it's, it's a sutra um, about all the feelings, all the types of Vedana, um, uh, the, this, uh, all the types of feelings, all the types of sensations. And just a quick reminder, and if you don't know the sutta, it's, it's a, the Bahu Vedaniya Sutta, something like that. Bahu, the all the Vedana suttas, sutta. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, though, it's not really the content of the sutra that I'm interested in. It's actually the way that that discourse plays out. And what it is, is that there's sort of, I th- believe it's a householder and a monk who are having a dispute or a kind of a, dis- a an argument, right? A debate about how many types of feelings there are or sensations, uh, Vedana. And the householder, I think, is claiming uh, that, the, that the Buddha taught that there are three types of feelings, right? Uh, pleasant, painful, and neutral. And the monk is claiming that the Buddha taught there are six types of feelings, uh, of feelings from the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and then ultimately from the mental faculty. They go to see the Buddha, or at some point the Buddha is, you know, addressed about this dispute about what what is it? Do you teach three or do you teach six? 
And of course, what's lovely about the sutras, he says, well, you know, sometimes I teach three, sometimes I teach six, sometimes I teach 18, sometimes I teach 24, 36, all the way up to 108. You know, he says, depending on the discourse, depending on the audience, depending on, you know, what's going on, it, it depends. And I think that's a great lesson in the Dharma and especially about all of these lists, right? All of these schematics, these matrika. Um, I think it's an, a helpful lesson about these lists to go back to and think about that discourse. Again, not about the Vedana, but about the Dharma, which is that it is it can be varied. It, it doesn't just have one uh, necessarily one schematic. And the reason why I bring that up is because this sutta, the way to the imperturbable, um, it's a kind of a classic roadmap to nirvana, another great reason to, to read it. It's a great roadmap to the state or the ayatana of naiva samya, na samya, you know, neither perception nor non-perception. But it's, it's different, though. It's a different schematic than you might be used to. We are going to go from the realm of desire, the kamadatu, to the realm of form, the rupadatu, into the formless realms, into the arupa, arupadatu, and ultimately at the end to nirvana. So we will go. We will traverse the tridatu, the three realms. Again, the realm of desire, the realm of form, and the formless realm. That's a classic progression and we will be progressing kind of through some geonic states but again what I want to bring your attention to is that this will not be a traditional format of four jhanas nor is it going to be a traditional format of the four formless realms we're not going to hear about infinite space we're not going to hear about infinite consciousness uh, in fact, just to let you know, we're going to be jumping right to the state of nothingness. Um, and it's, so it's also a kind of a helpful text for understanding that idea, Akimkanya, the, the, the ayatana of nothingness. So again, I just want you to be aware of that so that if you're curious, you know, where did those other dhyanas go, you know, Sometimes it's, the Dharma is a little different in different suttas, and I think it's interesting to reflect on those differences. Um, and so, um, one last note, I think, uh, before we dive in, before I just start kind of reading this first part of the sutta, um, the language of Bhikkhu Nanamoli, the translator of this, the, the, the language of this is, is it's about sensual pleasures, that's what's going to be the one of the key ideas that we will ultimately be sort of letting go of or abandoning our sensual pleasures. And the word here in Pali uh, is Kama, again, K-A-M-A. And this is indeed our Kama Datu, our realm of desire, the desire realm. And it's desire of that which can be seen by the eyes and hear heard by the ears and tasted and smelled and touched and even thought about. So these pleasures, so sensual pleasures is kama. Kama is the realm of the wanting, the desiring. But, you know, these are very subtle, uh, the desire here. And so, of course, as a um, 
as a text or a sutta directed towards traditionally towards monastics, one of the key sensual pleasures that's being discussed here is sexual pleasure. But since I'm, I myself am not a, a renunciant or a monastic, and I know I am, you know, being heard by many householders and non-renunciates, I think it's helpful to keep in mind that this dharma and this teaching goes not just for those that are giving up the sexual pleasure. That the, the Buddhist wisdom here about kama is that kama is, it's all forms of that, pl- the pleasures of the sights. Whether, you know, whether it's a movie or whether it's an image or whether it's a whatever, or the seeing, listening, listening to music, listening to nature, listening to whatever, the pleasures of the ear, pleasures of the nose, pleasures of the tongue. Uh, all of that is sort of what's going to be uh, in this word sensual pleasure, right? And then, of course, that's all the realm of kama, the realm of desire, and then sort of tucked right inside that, uh, these datus or these, these uh, the kama datu, rupa datu, a rupa datu, these datus are like uh, sheaths, you know, or sort of layers to reality, right? And so peeling back or letting go of that layer of kama, as we will see, will then unveil uh, the realm of form and then ultimately the formless realm. Um, but let me uh, just go ahead and read the first section to get us started. Um, again, this is Sutta 106, Ananya Sipaya Sutta, the way to the imperturbable. Thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Blessed One was living in the Kuru country, where there was a town of Kurus named Kamasamdama. There the Blessed One addressed the Sangha thus, Venerables! Venerable, they replied. And the Blessed One said this, Sensual pleasures, kama, are impermanent, hollow, false, deceptive. They are illusory, the prattle of fools. Sensual pleasures here and now and sensual pleasures in lives to come. Sensual perception here and now and sensual perception in lives to come all alike are Mara's realm, Mara's domain, Mara's bait, Mara's hunting ground. On account of them, unwholesome mental states such as greed, hatred, and delusion arise, and they constitute an obstruction to a noble disciple's training. Okay, so that's the first little part. Again, if you're not familiar with Buddhist cosmology, Mara is this kind of, you know, kind of devilish figure, uh, but is, you know, understood to be the kind of personification, if you will, the personification of all of our collective greed, hatred, and delusion, right? Those are the three poisons that are mentioned right at the end there that you know on account of sensual pleasures on account of comma unwholesome mental states such as greed 
hatred and delusion arise, and those constitute an obstruction to a noble disciple's training. So Mara's realm is the realm of Kama, sensual pleasures. And now we will go to section two, which is on the imperturbable. And just to give you a quick heads up, they are going to be three ways, three ways directed towards, or three ways to get to the imperturbable. And I will read all three at once. Therein, the Buddha said, a noble disciple considers thus, sensual pleasures here and now, and sensual pleasures in lives to come, sensual perceptions here and now, and sensual perceptions in lives to come, all alike are Mara's realm, Mara's domain, Mara's bait, and Mara's hunting ground. On account of them, unwholesome mental states such as greed, hatred, and delusion arise, and they constitute an obstruction to a noble disciple's training. Suppose I were to abide with a mind abundant and exalted, having transcended the world of desire, and I made a firm determination with that mind. When I do so, there will be no more unwholesome mental states, such as greed, hatred, and delusion in me, and with the abandoning of them, my mind will be unlimited, immeasurable, and well-developed. And when practicing this way and frequently abiding thus, the mind acquires confidence in this base. Once there is full confidence, one either attains to the imperturbable now or else resolves upon it with wisdom. And, on the dissolution of the body, after death it is possible that the evolving consciousness may pass on through rebirth into the imperturbable. This is declared to be the first way directed to the imperturbable. Again, a noble disciple considers thus. There are sensual pleasures here and now, and sensual pleasures in lives to come. Sensual perception here and now, and sexual perception in lives to come. Whatever material form there is, all material form is the four great elements, and the material form derived from the four great elements. When practicing in this way, and frequently abiding thus, the mind acquires confidence in this base. Once there is full confidence, one either attains to the imperturbable now, or else is resolved upon it with wisdom. And on the dissolution of the body, after death, it is possible that the evolving consciousness may pass on to rebirth in the imperturbable. This is declared to be the second way directed to the imperturbable. Again, a noble disciple considers thus. 
sensual pleasures here and now and sensual pleasures in lives to come, sensual perception here and now and sensual perception in lives to come, material forms here and now and material forms in lives to come, the perception of form here and now and perception of form in lives to come, all alike are impermanent. What is impermanent is not worth delighting in, not worth welcoming, not worth holding on to. Practicing in this way and frequently abiding thus, the mind acquires confidence in this base. Once there is full confidence, one either attains to the imperturbable now or else resolved upon it with wisdom. On the dissolution of the body after death, it is possible that the evolving consciousness may pass on to rebirth in the imperturbable. This is declared to be the third way directed to the imperturbable. Okay, and so just a couple of quick notes on that progress towards the imperturbable. We are, if you noticed, moving from the comma dot to, right? But then, in this very the first section, suppose the the disciple thinks, suppose I were to abide with a mind abundant, and exalted, having transcended the world of desire. I made a firm determination with that mind, and so each of these. So there is the transcending of the world of desire, and then even the transcending of the world of form made of the four great elements until ultimately this idea of the sensual delight, but even just sensual perception, and then just perception of form itself. All of it, you name it, all of it is impermanent. And then as it says in the last, the third section there, what is impermanent is not worth delighting in not worth welcoming, not worth holding on to, right? And so, again, there's a lot of commentary about this, uh, this uh, imperturbable ayatana, the, this base of the, uh, of the imperturbable. Um, you know, it does seem to be rather equivalent to upeksha, equanimity, but here I would like to just note for you these two main aspects to, to reaching the state of the imperturbable or acquiring imperturbability, there are sort of two things that I see going on. One is, suppose I were to abide with a mind abundant and exalted. And so if you think of that, you know, an, a, a mind abundant and exalted, the idea that, that comes to my mind is the the sense of dissatisfaction or boredom let's say you know you sit down to do a meditation and you you would like to get imperturbable but you would like but rather than being imperturbable you would rather watch something listen to a podcast cook something eat something the the mind in a way is 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 you know, in a diluted way, of course, but the mind is seemingly empty and needs to be filled with something. 
I need to fill it with some pleasures. I need to fill it with stimuli, right, to stave off the boredom in that way. But what this is, you know, what the mind training and the, these techniques are about is this idea of, but what if, you know, I were to abide with a mind that was abundant? It was already full. I, I, you know, I don't want to see or hear anything or smell or taste anything or touch anything or even think about anything. You know, I don't want to read an email and have ideas and think about things, right? What if you were already abundant and exalted and transcended the world of desire? No more, no more taking Mara's bait, right? In Mara's hunting ground, right? In Mara's domain, in Mara's realm. And the second aspect, so one already kind of sitting in abundance in that way, so that one is already so full that you, you wouldn't need any more sensual pleasures or desire, uh, desires fulfilled in that way. And then this last part, of course, is this idea of everything being impermanent. So it's not worth delighting in, not worth welcoming, and then finally not worth holding on to. Right. And so therein we have this, you know, a beautiful, amazing, you know, Buddha Dharma that what's keeping us from the imperturbable, what's keeping us from these states is ourselves, our own present clinging and holding on, not not a past buildup or accrual of karma or dharma, uh, karma in that way, but actual present holding on that could be released. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to move on. So that is the th second section, getting to the imperturbable. And now we are going to have three ways. So similar format, three ways directed towards the base of nothingness, the Akimkanya Ayatana, the Ayatana or base of nothingness. And so if you are still a little perplexed about this Buddhist idea of nothingness, which is not emptiness, it's not shunyata, it's its, its own idea, and it's not space either, right? It's its own idea. Uh, and if so, if you have still uh, wondered about it, uh, this portion of the text might help um, figure it out. So, again, the Buddha said, a noble disciple considers thus, Sensual pleasures here and now, and sensual pleasures in lives to come. Sensual perception here and now, and sensual perception in lives to come. Material form here and now, and material form in lives to come. Perceptions of form here and now, and perceptions of form in lives to come. And perceptions of the imperturbable are all perceptions where these perceptions cease without remainder that is the peaceful that is the sublime namely the base of nothingness when practicing in this way and frequently abiding thus the mind acquires confidence in this base of nothingness and once there is full confidence, one either attains to the base of nothingness now or else, or else one resolves upon it with wisdom. And on the dissolution of the body after death, it is possible that the evolving consciousness may pass on to rebirth in the base of nothingness. 
This is declared to be the first way directed to the base of nothingness. Again, a noble disciple, gone to the forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut, considers thus. This is void of a self or of what belongs to any self. When practicing in this way and frequently abiding thus, the mind acquires confidence in this base. And once there is full confidence, one either attains to the base of nothingness now or else is resolved upon it with wisdom. And on the dissolution of the body after death, it is possible that the evolving consciousness may pass on to rebirth in the base of nothingness. This is declared to be the second way directed to the base of nothingness. And again, a noble disciple considers thus, I am not anything belonging to anyone anywhere, nor is there anything belonging to me in anyone anywhere. When practicing in this way and frequently abiding thus, the mind acquires confidence in this base. Once there is full confidence, one either attains to the base of nothingness now or else is resolved upon it with wisdom. And on the dissolution of the body after death, it is possible that the evolving consciousness may pass on to rebirth in the base of nothingness. This is declared to be the third way directed to the base of nothingness. Okay, so those are the three ways directed toward the base of nothingness. Um, I did, I forgot to mention, and I did want to address this final refrain of all of these uh, practices, of all of these ways. Uh, this final refrain, which is that um, once there is full confidence, one either attains to that ayatana with nothingness uh, now or else resolved upon it with wisdom on the dissolution of the body after death. It is possible that the evolving vinyana, the evolving consciousness, may pass on to rebirth in that base of nothingness. So, you know, in many ways... This is really complicated because this has a lot to do with ideas of reincarnation, ideas of death and rebirth. That's already kind of a tricky idea. And then you get this kind of Buddhist thing going on where, you know, it's questionable about what is being reborn, uh, you know, thinking in terms of no self. But the Buddhists do sort of have this idea of the evolving of consciousness the continuation of consciousness, vinyana, the, the fifth skandha, right, of, of the aggregations of the self. And, you know, essentially the basic idea is, is that the four skandhas of form, sensations or vedana, perception, samya, and our conditioning, uh, samskara, or volitional formations, that there's a kind of this way that those four, and it kind of depends on what school of Buddhism you're talking about, of course, but there's sort of an understanding that those four are kind of related to the sensory organs themselves. And so upon the dissolution of the body, 
after death, as this says, those four basically dissolve with the organs that, you know, uh, were holding them in that way, holding the conditioning, having the sensations. Um, the fifth skanda, though, vinyana, in most Buddhist traditions, is understood to uh, effectively uh, transcend the body at death and, you know, like a kind of a wave formation, ride a, an ethereal realm, ride an ethereal wave of very, and these ayatanas or these bases of nothingness, the imperturbable, and these things are, are understood to be ethereal layers, kind of, upon which or through which, again, this is kind of wave particle theory almost of consciousness that gets tricky, but that consciousness is understood to sort of transcend the body after death and then transcend or rebirth, evolve, if you will, and continue to evolve in another set of skandhas, another set of four skanda body. Um, I don't want to get too into that because it's really neither here nor there in terms of this sutta. But that last part about, but it's possible that the evolving consciousness may pass on through rebirth to the base of nothingness or to the base of the imperturbable. And this is sort of speaking about what, what Theravadans and what early Buddhists called non-returners, that if you reach such a deep state of meditation, it would be possible for the consciousness to sort of just stay there. <laughs> Uh, you're not enlightened yet fully, you're not completely liberated, but you're totally chilling in the imperturbable state or the nothingness state. And so there's this idea that you're not being reincarnated back in the, the world, but again, you're not fully liberated yet, so you're a non-returner. And so that's, to my understanding, what, those, uh, what that refrain is referencing, is that if you do this practice enough, one's consciousness can stay in that state uh, post-mortem. Uh, but again, that's a little beyond what I'm really interested in getting at, which is our next ayatana, the next base, which is this base of neither perception nor non-perception, this naiva samya na samya ayatana, right? So again, a noble disciple considers thus, sensual pleasures here and now, and sensual pleasures in lives to come, sensual perception here and now, and sensual perception in lives to come, material forms here and now, and material forms in lives to come, perceptions of material forms here and now, and perceptions of material forms in lives to come, and perceptions of the imperturbable, and perceptions of the base of nothingness are all perceptions, samya. Where these perceptions cease without remainder, that is the peaceful, that is the sublime, namely the base of neither perception nor non-perception. When practicing in this way and frequently abiding thus, the mind acquires confidence in this base. Once there is full confidence, one either attains to the base of neither perception nor non-perception now or else resolves upon it with wisdom. 
and on the dissolution of the body after death, it is possible that the evolving consciousness may pass on to rebirth in the base of neither perception nor non-perception. This is declared to be the way directed to the base of neither perception nor non-perception. Okay, now, and as you may have noticed, there is only one way uh, directed to the base of neither perception nor non-perception, at least in this sutra, uh, not three. Um, and of course, um, these states are get trickier and trickier to describe, trickier and trickier to articulate. Um, uh, but I did want to mention from the last one, the base of nothingness, and this one, this idea of, you know, uh, that all of these things, the sensual pleasures, even the, the, the perception of something as having a form or a shape, you know, all of that, even the imperturbable, right, was a perception, was an idea or something that the mind was holding on to. So letting go of even that, one enters this state of neither perception, so not samya, but not not samya. Right. And so it's this um, abandoning of perceptions entirely, all kind of conceptualizations or in terms of Samya, you can think of it as discriminative, kind of discriminative perception in that way, that it's about a form of dualism. Sure. But separating a, a, any this from that here from there uh, is all a perception. And so this sort of neither perception nor non-perception is kind of understood to be this sort of limit of perceptualization. Is that even a word? Can you say perceptualization? But it's the limit of the process of perceiving, right? And so that brings us to the final section uh, which in the sutta is uh, the section on nirvana, or in Pali, nibbana. And so when this was said, the venerable Ananda, the Buddha's young cousin, said to the Blessed One, Venerable One, practicing thus, going to a tree or a hut, and saying it might not be and it might not be mine, it will not be, and it will not be mine. And that what exists, what has come to be, that I am abandoning. And thus he attains equanimity. Venerable one, does such, does such a person attain nirvana? The Buddha replied, One here, Ananda, might attain nirvana, another here, might not attain nirvana. And what is the cause? What is the reason, Venerable Sir, why one might attain nirvana while another might not attain nirvana? While here Ananda, one practicing thus, saying it might not be and it might not be mine, it will not be and it will not be mine, what exists, what has come to be, that I am abandoning, and thus that person obtains equanimity and delights in that equanimity, welcomes it, and remains holding on to it. As he does so, his consciousness becomes 
dependent upon it, and clings to it. One with clinging Ananda does not attain nirvana. But venerable, when that person clings, what do they cling to? To the base of neither perception nor non-perception, Ananda. When that person clings, venerable, it seems they cling to the best object of clinging. When that person clings, Ananda, they cling to the best object of clinging. For this is the best object of clinging, namely, the base of neither perception nor non-perception. Here, Ananda, a person is practicing thus. It might not be, and it might not be mine. It will not be, and it will not be mine. What exists, what has come to be, that I am abandoning. And thus they obtain equanimity. They do not delight in that equanimity. They do not welcome it or remain holding on to it. And since they do not, their consciousness does not become dependent on it and does not cling to it. One without clinging, Ananda, attains nirvana. It is wonderful, Venerable. It is marvelous. The Blessed One indeed has explained to us the crossing of the flood in dependence upon one support or another. But, Venerable, what is noble liberation? Here, Ananda, a noble disciple considers thus, sensual pleasures here and now, and sensual pleasures in life to come. Sensual perception here and now, and sensual perceptions in lives to come. Material forms here and now, and material forms in lives to come. Perceptions of material forms here and now, and perceptions of material forms in lives to come. Perceptions of the imperturbable, perceptions of the base of nothingness, and perceptions of the base of neither perception nor non-perception. This is identity as far as identity extends. This is the deathless, namely, the liberation of the mind through not clinging. Thus, Ananda, I have taught the way directed to the imperturbable. I have taught the way directed to the base of nothingness. I have taught the way directed to the base of neither perception nor non-perception. And I have taught the crossing of the flood in dependence upon one support or another, and I have taught the noble liberation. What should be done for the disciples out of compassion by a teacher who seeks their welfare and has compassion for them? That I have done for you, Ananda. There are these roots of trees. There are these empty huts. Meditate, Ananda. Do not delay or else you will regret it later. This is our instruction to you today. That is what the Blessed One said. The Venerable Ananda was satisfied and delighted in the Blessed One's words. Okay, and so that's the end of the sutta. Um, and again, I just wanted to... Uh, read that line again, which is more or less the, the line, the reason why I, I chose the sutra back in December um, 
because of the it's it's a very unique line about this ayatana of neither perception nor non-perception this base of with that has no samya no perception but no non-perception and the line is this one where ananda says um it's this idea that if one is still clinging even to the equanimity, even to whatever, you know, that they're still holding on to this base, which is, he declares to sort of be the limit, but this base of neither perception nor non-perception. And then Ananda has this line, right, where he says, venerable, um, that, you know, when one is, is clinging to the base of neither perception or non-perception, it seems they cling to the best object of clinging, and the Buddha agrees, yes, right? That if, if, there's, if there's one thing in all of Mara's realm to, that is, like, not okay, but is, that is worth clinging to, it is clinging to this base of neither perception nor non-perception. Um, and so, um, again, it, it's sort of in this, also in this language about, um, uh, let me find it here that the Buddha has taught the crossing of the flood in dependence upon one support or another. Um, and, you know, this, this is sort of, I think, a very helpful line for understanding these ayatanas, these bases of consciousness. These are supports to sort of get us you know, out of samsara and to nirvana, across the flood. Um, and so the idea is there, it's like a ladder, a stairway to heaven kind of an idea, but it is this idea that you don't rest on these rungs. You don't rest on these, but you do use them to, you know, well, depending, but to gain transcendence and nirvana. Um, okay. I think that's, um, a reading of the sutta and just about all I have to say, this is the weird, this is the weird moment that I was anticipating, which is that there's no questions. So with that, I will sign off and I want to thank everybody for listening. And again, everybody for supporting the Lotus Underground, for supporting me, for supporting the Dharma. And um, thank you very much. Uh, be well.